0: Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the podcast we are working in Aves. Uh, as you all know, a podcast that is uh, existing to share technology, uh, how can you use it for the AC field. And we're trying to always provide new methods, new experiences, uh, new ideas on how can you use technology for your projects, what's the value of it, and try to share uh, some insights on all the great things that you can do if you start to adapting this type of workflows, which... Uh, are super flexible are super um easy to do if you actually plan it properly and it's how you conceive the ideas and how you put them together so they can work so this podcast is all about this and today we have matt wash um uh founder i guess from bimbits and uh he will tell you more about the history so welcome matt and thanks for being with us
1: oh thanks for having me sam Um really glad to be here and the chat that we've just had we obviously share a lot of the same um views on where the industry's at and where it needs to go. Um, So a very quick uh, introduction to myself. I've been in the AEC industry for over 25 years, and I started out as a structural draftsman. And I think within the first year of starting that role, I was amazed at the inefficiency that went on between an engineer and a draftsman. And I just couldn't believe that an engineer would analyze a design in a piece of software, would print out markups. I'd then copy those markups. They'd then mark them up again. It'd go backwards and forwards. And the piece of software that I was doing was, was Revit. To, well, sorry, it was originally AutoCAD. But there was no connection between the analysis and the documentation. And I just thought, surely technology should allow me to move this information from one place to the other without me duplicating the effort here. So I yeah. thought, well, I'm not going to have a career doing this for very long, so I'll, I'll go and train to be an engineer. So I trained part-time to become an engineer. And then I found I did exactly what the engineers were doing when I was a technician and I was marking up drawings and giving them to a technician. <laughs> and I'm like, all I've, all I've done here is just move from the technician to the engineer. This is, this is not what I tried to do. This was not what I wanted.
0: So then I asked
1: my boss and said, hey, look, I, I don't want to do this workflow anymore. I've got the skills to do the technician side and the engineering. Why don't I combine the two um, and I'll design and document my projects. And they're like, oh, that's kind of like what an architect does. But engineers don't really do that. We kind of have these two separate roles. And I said, well, let's just trial it and see how it goes. And And then Revit came out. And I'm like, oh, this is making my life even easier because I can use the structural analysis package that we have, move that geometry into Revit, and I've already got a starting point. Then I can start documenting from there. So that was kind of when I had this vision of, okay, my future now is probably more in the technology side of delivery and removing waste from processes and making sure we add value. So in 2013, I did a master's degree in building information modeling. And what what I found was most insightful from that was just looking at the work that Toyota did and the the way that Toyota uses lean manufacturing to just make sure that every step of the process is adding value and there's no waste. And the nice. thing I really liked about what Toyota did was that they said, I don't care whether you're the CEO of the business or whether you're the guy on the factory floor. If you find a problem, you tell everybody about it. We stop work. We investigate that problem. We fix that problem when we move on. And I just mm. thought this was gold. I just thought this is amazing. Like, this is how we should encourage everybody to work. Like, let's just not hide the problems under the carpet. Let's raise them and, and move on and, and solve them. So having done that um, for a while, I moved to Australia. Um, I, I was working for Arup. I'd worked for Arup for 20 years, um, mm-hmm. working on some iconic projects in London. I worked on the Gherkin. I worked on the Millennium Bridge. I worked on the McLaren F1 headquarters. Mm-hmm. That was my first project I ever worked on. And then I moved to Brisbane um, and worked on some cool projects there, then moved to Singapore and worked on Singapore Sports Hub. And what I was finding was really difficult with BIM in general was it was really difficult where multiple stakeholders come on board on a project at different times with all conflicting priorities. And I okay. thought this 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 is the biggest challenge here. So with manufacturing, you you manufacture that same thing over and over and over again, and you can you can iterate on it. You get better and better and better at because you're reproducing that same thing. And like with mm-hmm. a building, we we treat every building as a unique unique building. Yeah. And then I tried to break that down and thought, well, is that really the case? It, you know is a pile cap a pile cap and a pile a pile and a slab a slab? Yeah. Like how, how much of what we're doing is really
0: repetitious
1: yeah. and how much of it is unique and creative? So I, I came up with this, this phrase called mass customization, and I thought this is what we need for our industry. We need to yeah. automate the mundane and the boring and focus on the creative side of things. So let's, let's not reinvent a pile cap a million times. We've, we've, we've done it a million times before. Let's work out the best way of doing that. And then make sure that the computer was doing all the things the computer could do and leave the human to do what the human's good at. So computer can do repetitious tasks over and over and over again, never gets tired. As long as there's a yes or no answer, it's going to get it right. A human is really, really good at communication and empathy and bringing lots of people together and, okay, we've just changed what we thought they were. were going to go and change and do it completely differently. And the brain can obviously respond to that very, very quickly Whereas the computer's like, no, no, you program me to do this thing. You've now got to change and program me to do something different. <laughs> mm-hmm. So for me, it's a combination of both the computer doing what the computer's good at and leaving the human to be really good at being creative. So the company that I work for now is called Autonomation. Okay. Uh, we're part of the we're part of the Bad Monkeys group, which I think most people are aware of globally with Dimitar, Havad um, in Europe. Um and um, Conrad in, in in the States and Marcelo in the States and, and Adam in Brisbane. So being in Brisbane, I started chatting to Adam and we we obviously aligned on a lot of these things. So automation means automating with the human touch. And I was just yeah. like, this is gold. I love it because uh-huh. it's combining my passion of letting a human do what it's good at um, and obviously letting a computer do what it's good at. So the product in Beats um, – kind of aligns to a lot of this thinking because I was working in a large architectural practice in Australia uh, and we were having issues with Revit. Revit was crashing fairly regularly. We were identifying pockets of brilliance. There were people doing some really amazing things with Dynamo and Grasshopper, um, creating automation routines, setting up remote machines to do PDF printing, all this amazing stuff. Um, But it wasn't scalable. Like we didn't, we didn't work out a way where we could make sure that those pockets of brilliance could get exposed to the entire business. It was always yeah. either one one individual but whenever that whenever that person was working on projects, good stuff happened, or projects. And it was like, well, okay, it just sits in that project and never comes out of that project. So what the idea with BIM Beats was originally was to help us understand why Revit was crashing a lot. And when I'm like, okay, I need to understand what was the user doing, what was the file doing? What was our infrastructure doing? Because Essentially understanding any Revit crash comes down to those three things. It's how good's the file, how good's what what was the user doing, and how good's the infrastructure that it sits on. So I'm chatting to Adam about this, and he's like, ah, look, we're we're developing this tool where we're going to capture the Revit events, we're going to capture how long it takes to do those events. And we're also going to look at the journal file and understand what users are doing within those journal files. And I'm like, oh, this is really cool because. All I'm doing right now is writing a Dynamo script to extract model health. So I'm pulling out yeah. the file size, the number of warnings, and all this kind of stuff. And it was, it was good, but it was only static on certain projects, maybe once yeah. a week. We'd get an Excel file, we'd pull the Excel file into Power BI, and we'd analyze it. And it was good, but again, it it wasn't scalable. It was okay. it was just some projects at whatever time we were doing it. Yeah. And Adam said, Adam said. Well, no, we don't need to do that. I'll just, I'll just process it all in real time and send it to the cloud and we'll get the Elastic Stack to, um, to process that and it will feed back in real time what everyone's doing. And I'm like, you, you're kidding me, right? And he's like, no, 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 we, we can definitely do that. So then we set up these dashboards and to start with, they were pretty hacky. They didn't, you know, it was just grabbing the data. It didn't really provide that many insights. But over the last two years, we've started to interpret that data and started to find out what's useful and then start creating actions from those insights. So it's been really, really amazing to see people who, and particularly in the COVID environment where you've got a lot of people working from home, how would you ever know who's doing really innovative things when they're just doing it in isolation? Like, yes, mm. we have teams meetings, but Bimbeats basically uncovers mm. all of the people that might be shy and want to keep those things to themselves, not not through wanting to kind of keep them there. Um, but just maybe their personality is they don't feel comfortable sharing those things. So we, we're we removing all of the bias of a perception of the model slow. Oh, this person's good, this person's bad, because everything we're doing is based off of a metric. So it's how long does the file take to open? How many work sets did you open when you opened that file? Have you compacted your file? Are you using all of the plugins that your company's bought you because their ways of doing things smarter? Who's using yeah. Dynamo to automate things? So, we started uncovering all of this information and realizing, yeah, that we'd got these pockets of brilliance around the organization. And it was like, how do we change the pockets of brilliance into business as usual across the entire practice? Yeah. So, what we then did was, okay, let's build up some kind of competency profiles of what are actions that advanced users do? Who's using Rhino inside? Who's using Dynamo? Who's doing all this really cool stuff? And how can we then feed that down? into project teams on the job. Who are the people that are showing an interest in learning these things? Yeah. Rather than sending them on the course, let's put them with these people that are doing this actively on a project mm-hmm. so we can just continuously educate and train people and share that knowledge because we've got the insights in
0: BimBeats to do that. So yeah, it's, it's been really insightful to do that. Sounds, sounds brilliant. It's really clever. Like, uh, I mean, like if you collect all this data and you know, like all the key points where you can um, move the pieces correctly, I'm pretty sure like the workflow of the company definitely changed. Um, oh, absolutely.
1: And and think just silly little things like when Revit crashes, most companies ask their team, you know, please log a ticket, explain what you were doing, yeah. what file you're in. What, like we, we just log that automatically. Every time there's a fatal error or an unrecoverable error. We grabbed the username, the file name, how many sessions of Revit they had open at the time, how long Revit had been open, how long the machine had been open, and then all the health of the model. Yeah. So, and, we, and we know what computer they're on. So all of the things that could contribute to that crash, we've automatically collected. There's no need to do the ticket. There's no need for an IT team to go and investigate what those things were. And then yeah. they can start building trends. Is it the same person that keeps getting those same errors? Is it the same file that keeps getting those errors? Is it that computer setup that gets those errors? Yeah. and it was just it was just like this is gold again like we're, we're capturing all this stuff and now we're turning it into insights and actions around what we're finding um, yeah, so and, it was really
0: really insightful And that's going with tr- truly like a improvement of time and performance for the company in long term like because I mean like people that is not familiar with these type of issues when you have a company it doesn't matter if it's big or small, like these issues. I think all the community that is using Revit for a while know this type of behavior. And um and suddenly like it's something that we have been in a way uh just getting uh used to live with it. We we just adapt to this. And uh but we know these problems, but if you if you actually save all these hours that you have like uh crash with a computer or you have to restart the computer, like we we are talking about like Possibly like easily in my life, like half of a year, like on the time that I've been like wasting just opening, closing, you know.
1: It, it, exactly. And and what Bimbeats is allowing us to do now is actually quantify exactly how much that time is, because we know how much time it's spent opening file and saving a file. And when you crash, we, you know, we can say, OK, how long does it take to write that ticket and get back into the file and all of these types of things. Um, so it's been pretty incredible. And one of the things that has been a really easy metric for Bimbeats is um, one of the companies we work with have set up a remote machine that does their PDFing overnight and does the compacting of the central files overnight so that they're not doing that during the day. And because we put BIM beats on that remote machine, we know how many hours that remote machine has worked, which essentially means that's hours that you as a human don't need to work because the computer's done it for you. So in terms of an ROI metric, it's okay. If you are now compacting your central files on a weekly basis or nightly basis or however you want to do it, and you're doing that at night and you're automating that process, that is time that a human doesn't have to do that. And when you compact the file for the first time, obviously it takes a little bit longer. You got to make sure no one's in the file. Whereas if you do that in the middle of the night on every file, your files are far more stable. They're smaller file size, probably less likely to crash. And we can tell that because we can go. We've got stats on the ones that haven't been compacted and the ones that have. There's there's just so many things that BinBeats is being able to capture um, to to get these insights. But I think the thing that we started this conversation on was around understanding COVID and the impact COVID has had on people's work patterns. What what we're finding, which is incredibly insightful, is, is that there are people that are really doing well with COVID in balancing going into the office and staying at home. And if they stay at home, they get their commute time back. They get to spend more time with their families. And that's awesome. And they're really, really good examples of people who's got that working really well for them. But on yeah. the flip side to that, we're finding a lot of people are spending more time working because they have instant Ooh. access to be able to log on and continue to do a little bit extra here and there. So the work patterns before COVID were, you know, typically the nine to five. We obviously yeah. know that doesn't work for everybody and that's fine. But what we're finding in the data from BIM beats is that. Quite often, people start early in the morning, they'll do some time, then they might have a little break, and then they start again, might have a little break. But the duration that they're working from the morning to the, the evening is, is, is definitely extended. And there's okay. a lot of people doing a lot more hours because they can. Whereas in the days where you'd go into the office, you could only do your work when you were in the office,
0: yeah. when you
1: left... You had to wait until you went back in. You might, you might have been able to write some emails or whatever, but if we take the use of Revit as an example, if you weren't on BIM 360, which obviously, you know, we, can't, we can do that now, but when you had to go in the office to access those files, that was the only time you could work on those files. Yeah. And it gave you a strict boundary to say, right, I'm not working anymore, I'm coming home. Yeah. So we're finding that, yeah, there's, there's a lot of people that are working very long hours. Now, I've been working closely with one of our clients and understanding how we can help those people. So we found someone that was doing regularly long hours and we said, okay, well, BimBeats is tracking exactly what they're doing so we can go, how many things that you're doing? Can we help you find a better way of doing that thing? Like, Are you doing manual things that could be automated? And one of the examples was a user who was opening sheets instead of views. Mm -hmm. It's like, I'm an architect. I want to look at the sheet. I don't it's like, okay, but the impact of doing that when you've got a lot of schedules on there, a 3D view, a plan view, an elevation, is, is going to take you longer than it is to open just the view you need. And BimBeats is capturing it. So it's like I can, I can tell you how many hours you've spent just opening views this week. Now, the intent of BimBeats is not at all to be big brother and pick up on people that aren't doing the yes. hours that they're mm-hmm. supposed to do and the surveillance of keeping an eye on what people are doing for a negative perspective. Our vision is always, always been how can we help people and how can we give people time back by doing smarter things? I've got one I've got one example of all of our clients who have used it to identify someone that was working on private work instead of doing work work. So it's like one example. But all of the other examples are good, good news stories about finding someone who was doing something they didn't, they hadn't been trained, they hadn't been shown how to do it a different way. Yeah, showed them showed them how to do it a different way, and they got some of their time back. Now, yeah,
0: and, and, and this is really good that you are collecting the data because it's gonna help a lot of the people to actually see the potential that they can have if they actually follow up the 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 guidelines. Because sometimes you if you if you mention these type of things to someone without showing him that well, oh, he's gonna save two hours of just clicking. He wouldn't notice this and he will get uh, used to like just keep repeating the, the same issue over and over because some 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 way humans uh, we are also like a um quite quite like a machine sometimes that we just repeat the same issues again and again. And yeah, yeah. Have, and, and the insights are great to see it, right? Yeah, oh, yeah.
1: absolutely. And and I was I was just about to kind of um add to your point where technology isn't the problem, process isn't the problem. Changing people. Sorry, it's not a problem, but it's encouraging people to do things differently is hard. Everybody's different. Everyone reacts to that differently, and you do have to be very sensitive around people who feel like you're saying, "Ah, you're you're criticising me for the way I'm doing this," and I feel, but you know, I feel uncomfortable about that. And we've got you've got to be sympathetic to that and say, "I understand where you're coming from," and I also understand that even if you know this thing's going to take you ten hours to do you know that's how long it's going to take you to do it and you'll do it because you know But in those 10 hours you'll have it finished. If I show you a new way of doing it and you've got to learn how to do that new way, there's this uncertainty for the first few times of how long you'll take to pick it up. So yeah. I totally, totally understand that this is a people challenge, but technology and process is easy. This is about change yeah. management. And Beam Beats as a company, we, we come in and we, we provide the software, we can help with the consulting. But every company that we work with has to have a change management and a culture that supports development of people because the last thing that we are is a company that come in to identify people who are doing bad stuff to get rid of bad people. It's, it's not that at all. It's yeah, yeah. about raising awareness of doing better things with the ultimate aim of giving people time back. And from a company perspective, if you're giving people time back, you're making more money. So it's in everyone's interest. Like there's no one that loses in this, but there is a very, very sensitive topic of how you convey that message and how you make sure you get everyone's buy-in. And you definitely don't want to go, Hey, at the end of this month, we've got this person who's doing these things and we know it's really inefficient and absolutely promote people who are doing really smart things who may not get the recognition because no one knows about it. But it's not about picking on people that aren't doing the right things because in my experience with architects, architects generally don't like technology. I've generally <laughs> it, but they just generally yeah. don't. But unfortunately, most of those architects will be working in technology for most of their day.
0: Yeah, yeah, the, time, the
1: time they're being creative is actually not that much of the day compared to doing something in Revit, as an example. But what I'm suggesting here is that if you improve the use of the technology, you will get more of your time back to do the things you want to do. You can be creative. You can do your sketch. You can do whatever you want to do, but don't you know? Don't sit in front of Revit and do stuff that the computer can do when we can use you as a human yeah. to do smart stuff. That's that's kind of the goal, really. No, and it's
0: it's an amazing goal to be honest. Like congrats on all on all these uh, projects that you have been doing. Uh, I have follow up with Bad Monkeys for a while, uh, bits for a bit as well. And you are building things that are uh, not a lot of people is building. To be honest, not the uh, not all the community has the uh, the access or the time to invest in this. And these type of tools are actually helping, and I'm I'm, I'm sure that is helping BIMBITs to grow as well because uh, BIMBITs is giving something that is unique from well uh, insights that are unique from the way that you have developed these applications and these uh, these utilities that can help the companies and. One, one thing that is also super nice is just like this thing about that you were mentioning, like COVID, how people just like changing the position uh, of where, the place that they used to work, which just means that they don't have to travel all these distance to just arrive to a place, sit down in front of a computer, travel all the way back. Because uh, I mean, this time is crazy. When, I, when I, as, as I, as I, as we mentioned before starting to recording, when I moved to Mexico City for the first time, so I met people that was traveling just to go to the office, like two hours, like uh, just to get to the office and two hours to go back to the office. And I was just like, kind of like, what, what is this? But people, I get to a, to a culture to a working culture that uh, people was used to it. This was normal life for them. And I'm like, four hours of your day are wasting just in commuting from this place to this place. And this is what you're getting used to it. Like, this is, this is what you choose, you know? And, uh, They they look at me like, why are you so surprised? Like, you know, like if I was like this strange one there, and I was like, man, like everyone here is crazy. Then, like, if you're doing this, like, (laughs) yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, and I and I can relate to that because when I started work, I lived I lived a long way from London, but London was the place to go and get work because if you wanted to work for a big company, you'd go to London. So my my commute was an hour and forty five minutes when I started in the mid nineties, and I would have. You know, you didn't have apps back then. You didn't have um, audio books, so I'd, I'd read the newspaper. But it, it wasn't productive time. It was—I yeah. I might get some sleep. I might—I <laughs> might sleep on the train for a little bit, which was pretty good. But yeah, you're right. Like I was wasting easy two hours of my day every day. Yeah, um, but it's right. It's—it's it's about that balance. It's and it's that balance that's right for every individual. Because now I personally, I now go into the office probably three or four days a week because. I like talking to lots of people and sharing what I'm doing, and my role is to talk to people. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not a I'm not a coder where I sit down and my role is to code, and I don't need that human interaction. I, I need yeah. it. I, sure. I thrive on it. But what I do is now when I when I go to work and when I come home from work, I'm listening to audiobooks. I'm listening to podcasts. I'll live into, listen to Troxel um, and yeah, I'm filling my, knowledge, my my brain with all the kind of cool stuff that I like, but. Nice. I'm doing it because it's kind of a hobby, it's kind of related to my work, and if I've got a commute, that's what I want to do. When Ooh. I turn the radio on and listen to music, I just go, yeah, there's some days I want to do that, but I feel like I'm wasting my time when I could be spending time learning stuff like listening to the podcast that Evan Trots has done recently with Paul Carroll and Shane Berger and Greg Schluzer, like it's it's awesome like I'm just kind of filling my, my brain with all this knowledge of people that I kind of respect in the industry um, yeah. and, and I and I love it but and I probably wouldn't do that when I work from home because I get up walk the dog come back and then I work whereas yeah. I've kind of got my routine now where when I commute to work and commute from work I'm Podcasts, audiobooks, whatever it might be. So, yeah, it's about that balance, and and, it, and you know, people do need downtime. People do want, yeah, you know, I just want music and I need my brain to do nothing. But we're, you know, we're we're all all different. My brain is yeah. very active.
0: <laughs> no, and it's it's totally true. Like in my case, for example, like I I tend to listen a lot of music, but that's because I I work in the computer and I'm I'm doing coding, I'm doing some scripting, and most time. Most times it's about reading or if I have to watch a YouTube video to learn something about coding or to learn something about whatever I'm doing, you know, like thanks to, thanks to the new apps that we can speed up the, the, the way they talk now, <laughs> we can go just straight to the point yeah, of, yeah. of doing it sometimes.
1: <laughs> it's funny, I've got, I've, 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 got to, I've got to call Adam Sheather out because um, I, Adam and I work in the same office and Adam is coding on one screen and then on his other screen, he has either YouTube or some web, webinar or something. He's watching the webinar or the podcast at two and a half times the speed while, and then sometimes he's watching the webinar whilst coding in a meeting with us. And I'm like, dude, dude, how, how are you doing this? He's just like this crazy genius that can do three things at once. And then <laughs> he'll be just like, hold on, hold on one second. And he'll just pause. Yeah. He'll pause the YouTube because he knows that's what he really needs to focus on. But it, it's just, it's crazy. And I, when I first started working with him next to him, I'm like, man, you, you're crazy. And Conrad, Conrad's the same. Those guys are just like superhuman. Yes. In, in my eyes, they're like so crazily um, intelligent and technical with wow. what they do. And then I rocked up and I'm like, hey, guys. <laughs> hey," And Conrad, like, what's this dude doing? Um, but I th- we've got a really good mix between the three of us yeah. now. We've got um, the coding side of things, the technical development of the product, which is handled by Conrad and Adam. Yeah. And then I'm obviously working quite directly with the clients to get the insights. And then we kind of pull it all together um, and just nice. go, okay, wh-, and what <laughs> are we learning from our clients? And like you said earlier, we've got so much data now. like So we can start benchmarking what is good practice, what does good practice mean in terms of a time saving? Like if you only open 50% of the work sets rather than the entire model, on average, how long does that save over what file size with how many links with which consultant models linked in? It's like so many permutations of being able to work out, okay, the benefit of doing this for your business and your people is this and this and this. and And we'll benchmark. We've got the benchmarks. Then we'll run it on your data and we'll tell you you know how well you're performing because we had a conversation the other week with someone and said oh you know were you aware about work sets and we advise you open the model in large models where you don't have any work sets open at all and then you selectively think about what you want to work on because our studies have shown that 60 percent of the time Mm -hmm. architects open the entire model with all of the work sets open okay so we were like you know and we 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 relayed this story to a potential client, and they said, "Don't worry, you know we have weekly meetings. We say this every week. We just reinforce this message of don't open every work set. Like you just think about it. We then put them into BimBeats to start capturing their data. Seventy-five percent of their team opened every single work set when they opened the model. Yeah. So it's like the the perception that you have this system and process in place versus the reality." is very, very different, but you would never be able to check that. You'd never be able to go, well, okay, my people are telling me that's what they're doing and I just believe it. So again, BIMBeats just removes any bias and opinion because it's like, okay, this is what it says. This is how long it took. And this person here is complaining that it took 20 minutes to open, open the entire model. Whereas this person who is more selective on opening the model, it takes maybe five minutes on average. We yeah. know we know Revit varies a lot. Like it's not like a, a number that you'll always get when you open it up. It it does vary, but on average or the median, it will always be lower. And we've now got quantifiable metrics to calculate those benefits.
0: No, this, this is really good. So like honestly, I had the chance to work in huge projects where we have these type of issues where you open a model and basically you could just open the open the model, go for a coffee, go for a walk, come back and the model was just about to start like uh, running, right? But this came um, and this used to happen because uh, in those times, you know, like uh, when you're working really big projects and you are collaborating with a lot of people, you don't know what's going on exactly in everyone's computer and you don't know what's the operation, what what happened. And this, honestly, as we mentioned, like it it comes to hours and hours of just wasting time and just, you know, sometimes it was even so annoying because you were like, what's the point to come here what's the point to close the file if i have to wait come tomorrow wait for like a
1: yeah and the the problem with revit on large projects is you're only as good as the lowest competency in the team because obviously you synchronize those changes back and the effects of those changes affect the entire team so as an example you you create an in-place family Mm. that you think you're only going to use once and then you realize oh no i'm actually it is on every level yeah. but it's only once so i'm just going to copy that 50 times on this commercial tower because i've only done this one bespoke piece of casework but i've now copied it 50 times but i'm an interior designer and i i don't really understand how revit works anyway
0: yeah but then
1: the bim manager on that project goes yeah. how come the model's really slow and bim beats can obviously just capture how many how many a... in place families are being created by whom over what time the leader mm-hmm. level Oh, someone's deleted a level and the level's deleted all these elements. We've got no idea who did it. Okay, BIM beats. We know when that's happening. And we can set up alerts. So this is the great thing. So we can say, as soon as these things happen within Revit, send a message to a Teams channel or a Slack channel or whatever it might be. So the BIM manager or project leader of that project will know a minute or two after that event has happened. Because... We're capturing it and we're alerting people that those things have happened. So if someone's exploded a CAD file, deleted grids, deleted design options, whatever, whatever it might be, we can basically set an alert up for anything that is a Revit action. So if there's a Revit action that you want to be, you know, keep an eye yeah. on, we know instantly. So it's like you don't find out a week later that someone's accidentally deleted a design option or they've accidentally deleted a level. You just you as like we give we give some out the box ones that we think most people like want to know about, like changing the template, um whatever it might be. But you've got absolutely one hundred percent flexibility to set up whatever rules rules and alerts you want because we're literally just creating them from the actions that the users carrying out.
0: And this this is brilliant. Like it's really really fast. Like if you and this also gives you not only the chance to. I improve the performance of the people inside the company, but actually to save the, if you make like these kind of big mistakes that sometimes someone does, because that's life, you just like in one minute, you still are capable of saying, you know, stop the right there, like don't well, synchronize, don't to go and exactly ruin everyone else.
1: We've probably all been in the situation where that's happened and then you walk around every team member, right? Whose local file do we need to use to create the new central file? Uh, what did you do? How much work do you need to yeah. do? How much rework yeah. can you copy from this? And it's yeah. you know those those moments are chaotic and they're not common, but when they but happen, they have massive yeah. detrimental effect So, um yeah, again, just one of the
0: other benefits of business yeah. is that and, instant rule.
1: And and I think like
0: I mean the way that is that I see it like I, I think humans we are starting to start like go oh, for bigger scale more often you know like i start to see bigger buildings i start to see a bigger uh, number well yeah a bigger number of, of levels in the buildings uh cities are starting to go more vertical which i think is good like projects are, are getting bigger because well at the end of the day we're still growing as a society and the world's still growing and the way we operate is is getting way different like we i, I still um i mean in mexico i still struggle a lot with the mentality of just building houses because everyone wants uh, to hear like the well, at least in my city, in my hometown, people was just like, okay, I will grow, uh, buy a house, build my house, I have my house. So then we have all these uh, huge developments of just houses horizontally. So now it's changing to go to the vertical, which is good. But uh but now that we, that we are jumping to these type of buildings that we are, and I think this is a phenomenon that, that is happening all over the world. Uh, we need a like bigger infrastructure and we need bigger collaboration, greater tools to understand it and anything that you can have, and like, definitely like something, some data that you can collect like this that uh, helps you to push everyone like moving forward and not only moving forward, but to improve also the collaboration, because just like you were saying, like it's really hard to notice this when you don't have um, this type of insights. And if you still like understanding the value of this, uh, you're not only talking about, like, uh, as we say, like, uh, good money for the company, more time for the people, but you're talking about very relationships and understanding how everyone is working. And hey, this guy's doing these cool things. So, and it's true that as humans, it's, sometimes it's really difficult to just go around with everyone in the office being like, uh, hey, look at this, what I just did, because uh, maybe half percent of the office will be like, okay, like, <laughs> and maybe some are interesting. Or like they just different have different uh, tastes on the on, on what they think is cool or not. You know, like some te- some people will be like, "Look how cool is my dynamic!" Other people will be, "Look how cool is my family detail." And it's just also related to the personality of each one, right? And I yeah, think this yeah. is this is good that everyone knows who's the person in the in the team that can help on what.
1: Yeah, well, you know, jumping on top of that, it's like if you're the person that's created this awesome thing, but you're uncomfortable presenting that to a group of people, Uh beats can go, hey, look, we've identified you're doing this really cool thing, but we don't expect you necessarily to present it. But because we know you're doing it, we can get someone else who's more comfortable to present it. So you, you still get rewarded for what you're doing, or you'll still have that knowledge that something you've created can be shared, but you're not relying on that individual task necessarily do the delivery of that message because that might not be what they're comfortable with Um, but it's still like i still think that when you are in the office walking around having those conversations is still great like i'm we're not suggesting that you don't do that it's just more about trying to uncover these pockets of brilliance and just share it more broadly and and make sure that it's across all projects and like you said about the housing it's like it makes total sense right there's only so much space on on the earth if we go vertical then we've got more space but revit models are getting bigger the more information we're putting more and more information into those models and the technology that we have right now it's not not you know in in most people's eyes not good enough and not where it should be so we've got to look at how do we use the tools that we have in the most effective way because you there's a significant difference between doing things one way and doing things another way now if we can if we can uncover those good ways and quantify the differences those good ways make, then obviously it's going to help everybody. Um, so that's the aim. That's the aim of, of of what we're doing here. Um, and you know, I can't remember what year, was it 2020 when 160 companies signed the white paper to Autodesk to say, you know, this is this is not good enough. We need no, yeah. more. Um, and my understanding was that they said on the roadmap they're not gonna rebuild Revit, so they're gonna make marginal improvements. So we think that we've got something here that you know will help people for the next, say, five years um, until the new Revit does come along. Um, and the other thing that we haven't even touched on that is just blows my mind is that if we're capturing this data and continue to capture this data for the next five years, how much can machine learning and AI start helping and know that? Hold on a minute, you, this thing that you're just about to do, we've looked at the previous ten commands across the globe of every other company that does that thing, and usually. The next 10 things you do are this. So do yeah. you want to just go and hit this button and I'll go and finish that thing off for you? Like it kind of blows my mind. It's kind of a bit crazy, but um, oh, you goodness. can imagine that it's possible if you start capturing enough data that's structured that hmm. you can start, you know, understanding these patterns. And Adam and I had a chat the other week and Adam starts started to look into process mining. And he's yeah. like, oh, this has started, you know, it's getting me really excited about where we could potentially go with BIM beats because, Process mining can look at the most optimal way to move from one place to another place and look at how far you deviate away from it and understand how you can mine that to understand, yeah, the, the most optimal way to complete um, a task. And I'm like, this is this is awesome. I mean, this we're now, we're now talking in the future, but if we're capturing this data now, who knows what it's going to be able to give us in the future? And if we don't start capturing it now, we're going to regret it when we get to the future where it can start you know five years time we go oh man if we'd have captured all that revit data five years ago yeah we'd be able to automate all this stuff so you know maybe this is a marketing pitch for us that guys jump on and get BIM beats because if you start capturing your stuff now we'll be able to do all this awesome ml and ai stuff in the future but uh, yeah no no
0: and also like i mean just to start like you will be your clients actually data that is way uh, super valuable like this is and this is something that I've been thinking also for like um, a couple of months. Uh, like uh, when I when I was reading about like that, like a couple of months ago. Like so so for me, like I started getting familiar with coding after like scripting and stuff because first you know scripting I was like, oh, okay, this is cool, and then I, I jump up to the coding wall as, as well a bit, and I'm like, okay, coding is also super cool. Like has a lot of things that I didn't know and I was not expecting, and that's when I actually start to understand like. What if I actually have the data of all the projects that I have worked previously? Like, what if I, I don't know, like if for these buildings, I have the data of how many windows I have, how many elements of uh, plumbing I have. And yep. if you have to, and I don't know, like, because, well, you know that those projects they require a lot of things. And if you can have these elements, like the way you can actually estimate in the future, like projects uh, or projects not only estimate, but predict the functioning of the buildings. Because, you know, like if this is a living, uh, yeah, like a, 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 a building that is supposed to be like a departments, but this one is commercial and departments, and this one is a data center. Okay, so what, yeah, yeah. Do you, that, what do we do with all this information? I think companies should really focus also on this part, which no one is focusing right now, because uh, it's still really hard to make people understand, like or to go to a contractor and explain him look man like uh, if you have all all these in a model and we develop your project and you collect all these for you then for your next project you will have all these and we can keep doing it until the moment that you get like experience that doesn't just because you just click on button
1: yeah absolutely and we, we have a um a part of Beats where you, we allow our clients to add in whatever project information parameters they want so mm-hmm. we have clients that are now adding in a market sector parameter so it's is it a commercial project? Is it a residential project? Is it a stadium? Is it a convention center? Whatever it is. So they now are grouping all of their data into different typologies. So they can say, okay, we just want to look at our residential projects or we just want to look at our commercial projects and compare across each of the different projects. But taking your point around the materials or the things that are in those models, we, we um, partner with Tally. So Tally does the embodied carbon calculation. So, And it doesn't matter whether it's Tally or any other carbon calculation, but you can now start quantifying your carbon for each of your different materials in each of your buildings to then benchmark that. So you can say, okay, last year we did this. This is our benchmark project for a commercial tower. What was our carbon offset? How much do we want to improve that by next time? And what materials did we use to do that? And then it's like, okay, we want to get better and better and better. We're benchmarking from last year to this year, and we always want to continuously improve that. So, But again, it's just how do we use the data in a positive way? And the carbon offsetting is just, just a genius idea to be able to say. Okay, yeah. On this project, we added um, pulverized fuel ash into the concrete, and that reduced carbon emissions by X amount of percent. So we'll put that data into the model, and then we've captured that. And it's... Yeah. Yeah, it's just really exciting about what no, we can and, capture.
0: And, and this is also like this. This point in particular is amazing because one of my thoughts and reflections also is that uh, sustainability cannot happen without data. Uh, I yep. think that there's, that's also like a huge, like huge gap that we still have in the industry and people um, and all these. Because with all the respect, without to all the experts out there, with that say sustainability is just doing an analysis and. And collecting the electrical way, but I think like it's way more than that. It's it's, it's about how can you actually understand the data of the of the so you can actually start reducing the consuming of of all the elements. Because you know, I, I remember I was um, well, I was telling some things about like sustainability, and they were like, well, you have to use this uh, special uh, toilet because this is like less water and this special brand and da da da. And I mean, it's it's nice that you have these uh, these uh, particular elements and that you can place in the house or in the building that helps you to reduce energy. But do we have the data of how much uh, can we use to reduce it uh, in the future? Can we have like a building just because we have the collected data that we know that okay, if we put like a plant to treat the water here, then we can reduce it, and it's not and, and start doing like this bigger reflection where sometimes the brain, the human brain, is just like. Uh, Without the data it's just so difficult to understand it it's almost impossible you know?
1: yeah, it is and it's kind of like anecdotal evidence or opinion, and this is backing up those opinions or thoughts or in with data and I think it, it needs both. It needs the the gut feel and the intuition about an idea, but backing that up with real metrics to say did we achieve what we thought we're going to achieve through actual data. But there's, yeah. there's probably probably a couple of things to touch on that usually get raised when we talk about BIM beats that we haven't discussed, and that's um, privacy, um, security of the data. Like we, we're very conscious around what we're capturing. Um, we're not capturing any sensitive data about people. Yes, yeah. we're capturing a, a username with the file they're in, but you know we're not capturing any sensitive data. Um, the data gets processed extremely quickly in Elastic, like almost instantly a lot of our clients want to use power bi because they're familiar with power bi so we do integrate with power bi and we do a rest call into the elastic instance and then pull that data down but it's again it's a scalability thing if you want to do that on a single project with a selected number of data points you can do that but you can't you can't suddenly bring in everything that's in elastic automatically into power bi and get that same experience because it's just not built to do that whereas the technology that we use is the same technology that like Netflix and Salesforce and those kind of yeah. customers use that are processing servers and getting instant response in real time on, in service. So um, we do integrate with Power BI and you know we, we show that in our presentations, but there is definitely a limitation of what you can do with a desktop business intelligence tool compared to something like Elastic, which has been set up to do exactly what we're doing from a server level. We're just doing yeah. that at the computer user level.
0: Yeah, that sounds great. And I, I, I just, I just have have this question now. I'm I like shifting a little bit. Like, uh, I, I'm, I'm guessing like Bimbits normally gets like uh as, normally gets higher or gets or, or provides support to big companies, so like middle, middle sized companies. I will guess. So what, 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 what's happening to the small companies with the small groups of people that still like are... So sometimes they are building a lot, but they don't have any idea of this. Uh, those spin bits have like some sort of like a idea on how can they go to that market as well?
1: Yeah, we do. We do. Um, I guess as, you, as you're aware, like when you work in a large organization, you have a very wide mix of competency levels. When you start reducing the size of that organization down to, make, let's just say, a, an architectural practice of five people, there's a lot more transparency around how those people are performing and where they need help because it's just less people. And if you have like an expert with four other people, it's quite likely that you'll get benefit from Bimbeats, but you've got that touch point with those other four people quite regularly. And Mm -hmm. as long as you're um, using your knowledge to educate those people and that you're regularly upskilling those people. But yeah, maybe Bimbeats is not a product that you would you would need it would still be extremely useful, particularly around the model health and those types of things. But from a user um, upskilling point of view, when you've only got a few people, that's not you know it's not as relevant. We can't we we currently sell BinBeats at a minimum of 50 licenses per organisation. Okay. Well, we see the opportunity to partner with other people that provide solutions to the smaller companies. So let's just say you've got a company that sells hardware and software. So someone sells you your computer and sells you Revit. We're happy to say, look, if you want to manage those smaller companies because you deal with lots of smaller companies, you can buy 50 licenses from us and then you can distribute them to 10 companies of five people if you want. That's entirely up to you because that business model will work for you. Whereas for us, if we have to do the setup and we have to do the training, like for us to do that, on a very small scale doesn't make sense for us but if no. you're if you're running a business that supports lots of smaller practices that might make sense to them so whilst whilst we currently focus on 50 licenses and above we have companies that have 20 people that still say i'm happy to buy 50 licenses because for 20 people i can see that the benefits there and you guys nice. are providing you you guys are providing us now with roi metrics to say well even though i'm i've only got 20 like the 50 still works for us so that's kind of kind of where we see but it's evolving so quickly and so many different options that we've got around supporting um, organizations at all levels i think there'll be someone maybe on the podcast thinking oh this this could be a model for that to work in the smaller organizations or this is another opportunity to do that slightly differently like we're still quite in our infancy we've you know the product's been around for two, nearly three years now. And okay. we're discovering different ways of making sure everybody's getting the value out of it every day. I had, I had a call this morning actually from one of our clients, and he said, Wouldn't it be really cool if we could work out what the composition of a view was in terms of 2D versus 3D? Because in his mind, it was like 2D is kind of junk and the 3D is the smart. So, can we get a list of all of the views that have the highest proportion of? model elements versus non-model elements, or, or vice versa, which views have got lots of 2D content on and a little 3D. And yeah. I'm like, well, yeah, of course we can do that. We capture the number of yeah. annotations, the number of text notes, the number of filled regions, the number of masking regions, and yeah. the num- to- total number of instances on a on a view. So now we can go, what's the total, and then what's the percentage of each of those in comparison to the total? So yeah. now I'm like, oh, this is great too, because now we can educate people around okay, on a GA plan at one is to 100, you might go, well, I don't need that much line work because it should be from the model. If I'm doing a one to 10 detail, that's fine. I totally get it. So now we can go, okay, let's focus on the plans and understand who's doing a lot of 2D work on plans that might be able to do that in a smarter way. But it's okay on a one is to five detail because you you, you might be bringing in detail components and, and embellishing the model. But I'm like... I didn't even think about this. Why haven't I not thought about this?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, there's many things still to think out there. I guess like uh, a lot of ideas that are uh, people, clients. Depending on the on the um, position where your company is and what you do, like uh, definitely like a different mindset inside the company. Uh, companies that only focus on design. Uh, Probably the metrics that they will have to measure are different to go to the ones that are I don't know for like engineers or technicians where they focus more on like actually developing the documents so yeah yeah like the 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 whole the whole industry of the AC is changing a lot uh, especially I think like the last couple of years where technology has been pushing a lot because thank God everyone is I think everyone is doing a little bit in their own position in their own side, because, uh, I don't know, like, I, at least in my experience, architecture is way different. The things that we used to do like 10 years ago to the things that we do nowadays, like it has changed like, uh, amazing. Oh, and, incredible, and, uh, and still they say that we are left behind compared to other industries, you know, like compared to the car industry and, uh, and just like you were saying, like, uh, how to operate, how other companies operate, but, uh, but it but it is it is true that uh, we have been seeing like a massive change on how we operate, how we think, how we perceive, how we do everyone is saying like, okay, Revit is not enough and signing this this paper, but uh, uh is what we have. And it's and I think like if companies is are are focusing on this is because they know that they are using it and and even if you wanna change it, like uh, I think like the first thing that between all the community we have to start like changing is the mindset before we actually go to the software, go to the workflow of a company, or what are the tools? The first thing is actually changing the mindset and embrace technology on how it is so we can facilitate everything and the tools for everyone.
1: Yeah, I I, I couldn't agree more. And I, I think the biggest challenge, picking up on your point, around our industry being slow to adopt technology and to digitize. I think the The advantage a lot of other industries have is that they don't have this multiple stakeholder engagement coming on at various stages of the project. I think that's very challenging to be able to get everybody on the same page. You know, IPD type contracts are great, um, but they're not the norm. They're only on selected large projects. Your average project has so many conflicting objectives. And the thing that has always surprised me is the tradition of an engineer or an architect getting paid as a percentage of the construction cost. Yeah, I'm like, why would I ever want to be doing the best to reduce the cost of this building? When I get paid, the more it costs to build this thing, the more I get paid. I just, this to me just is nonsense. It's just nonsense. It should be around the more you get paid should be based on how much better this building is for the environment, how much time and money you've saved people. Not yeah. oh, the more this costs, the more variations we get, the more money we make, because yeah. it just makes no sense. But if you had a benchmark and you improved on that benchmark and you all took a shared um, reward for beating the benchmark value, yeah. like to me, again, it's, it's kind of a utopia because, you know, we haven't got there and we haven't done that. But pulling it back to BIM Beats again, BIM, Bim Beats allows you to do what's within your control. Everything that Bimbeats is capturing in terms of the data is this is inside your organization and you have the ability to change whatever you want to change. It's entirely up to you. And also, if you're linking in consultant models, all you've got to do is open that consultant model and Binbeats is capturing all of that data too. So if you want to report back to your consultants that they need to clean up their families or clean up whatever it might be that you're now helping everybody on the project who's linking in everybody else's models because you've done an audit of their project and you can say, ah, the BIM execution plan might've said this, 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 and this. And no one really checked it because it was so hard to check all of those things. Whereas now we can go, well, here's a template of what's acceptable and what's not acceptable. We've just opened your file with, BIMBase has automatically captured all that data. And, you know, you can play with these things, you don't can play with these. You know these things aren't that important so we're okay with that but these things here really slow us down so please yeah. can you go and fix these things so i think it's a start towards um the industry changing to become more digitized but the longer term um solution to multiple people getting on board the project with conflicting objectives is is going to be a challenge um i'd, I'd yeah. love to say that the client will in- engage all of those people at the start of the project and we'll uh, We'll all work it out and everything will be fine. But I think I think we've got a few years off before that happens.
0: Yeah, that's that's a long term fight. Too, that we we will we have to to do because at the end of the day, that's um, I think the the biggest trouble is is still that the culture more than the more than the absolutely, technology.
1: Absolutely, the culture. Like I'll I'll give a shout out to one of our clients because I I, I have to. So ADG Consulting Engineers in Australia. They looked at their systems and processes, and they said, we feel that we're wasting a lot of time moving reinforcement and post-tensioning from our design to our documentation. Doing column schedules is taking a long time. So we'll get beats in to verify what we think is happening. And it did, and it quantified exactly where they were wasting their time. They then invested in automating that routine of moving RAM, it, this was um, RAM, uh structural analysis to do PT and reinforcement and they automated that process to bring that directly into Revit and there was a little bit of cleanup so a task that used to take them eight hours now takes two hours and they know how many times they run that task each year they've trained every person within that organization that did it the old method to do it the new method and they've done this across all of the things that they considered where they were wasting time and there's room for improvement as there always is this isn't we've done this and we stop They continuously look at the data and say, okay, how do we spend more time doing coordination and how do we reduce this manual effort? And the data speaks for itself. Like I could pull the data up and it's like 35 people regularly using all of these Dynamo scripts because the scripts have moved from Dynamo to Dynamo Player. So if you're not familiar with Dynamo, they're in Dynamo Player. Then they've said, ah, the ones that are used most frequently, if we do those as C-sharp plugins, they're going to run even quicker and they're going to be a button. It's going to be even easier. And it's just, this approach is just brilliant, but it's it's only been made possible by the culture of that business saying, yeah. this is going to make your life easier. This is the way that we do something here. Yeah. If you want to, if you have a better way of doing it, absolutely raise that better way of doing it and we'll test it and we'll run it in beats. So we'll know whether it's clean yeah. or whatever. We're not telling you, you can only do it this way and we support finding yeah. better ways of doing it. but. They have that culture where they're saying, We want you to do these things as efficiently as possible so that you can do the things that you're good at. But hey, if you if you find a better way of doing this, the challenge is on. Like if Mm -hmm. you can improve what we've already improved, then we welcome that. And I, I I think it's just for me it was something that I always thought was just so obvious. But that cultural change and the people change to get everybody to buy into this idea is very, very hard, very challenging. And again, it's a scaling thing. Like this organization, ADG, have got thirty-five technicians, and it's a good number. It's a number where you can yeah. manage that. Like it does get harder as you scale, but to see that and to see the results in Boombeats is like we just like we're just so proud because it's like this is what we did this for, and here's the results. And these people hopefully are getting their life back, or you know, at least a few hours back.
0: Yeah yeah no this is this is a great shout out to that company honestly like it's amazing to see people that want to engage like that that are looking for this uh to break this culture to to change the 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 perception and the habits and as you're saying like um teams honestly they and the people working together is not it, it shouldn't be working to 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 be like a um as uh, to be like a contest on who's doing more, but it should be looking as a team and how can we work to be better, happier, and having less time invested here. You know, like um, uh, at, at least for myself, like I uh, I had the chance also like uh, in periods of of in some sometimes in in some periods of of my working hours to to start like becoming good at Dynamo that I start like to have uh, I start I start having like free time. Uh, in the in the in the in the in the companies because what I was supposed to do it was done, and then I had like all this free time during the day to actually learn more stuff, and this yeah, yeah, this is this is something that I I, I really appreciate like uh, I realized that out, automation any type of automation uh, if you invest sometimes maybe at the beginning it's not that simple to adapt or takes a little bit like there's always a curve on on this on this on this type of um, changes. But once you actually go to the corp, like you'll see how easy your life will become and how good. And then if you want to listen to the podcast or like you, know, you want to play play music or you want to learn more stuff, like then you have time to do it. And exactly. I, and I think like at the end of the day, the real, the real money and the real earnings is actually time besides yeah. everything else. Yeah.
1: Ab- absolutely agree. And you're, and you're absolutely right. Finding, doing something different to the way you've always done it is a challenge and there will be a learning curve and sometimes that learning curve is going to be quite steep. But what we're trying to encourage with Beats is that that learning is carried out on the job and it's not that you... And, you know, blended learning, everybody learns differently, but learning on the job when you need to do that thing and you've got the support there at the time you need to do that thing generally works best, as we found. But if if you have a company that's providing you support, it might be online learning from LinkedIn Learning or e-global training or knowledge smart or whoever it might be you can still do that but you can then use bimbeats to go well okay what was the thing that they were learning was it families advanced family building now the people that have done the advanced family building course are they now building less in-place families than they were last year the people that have done the design options and design sets do they now start understanding and using that more often or whatever it might be but it's it can it's a check for Whichever learning method you want to use, how effective that learning method is. Because if you take an online training company, you know it's likely that they will say, okay, you did this course, it took this amount of hours, we give it a competency rating of this, so therefore, tick, you get a certificate for doing it. If you do that and you don't use it for a couple of months, and then when you start to try and use it, you try and go, oh, I can't really remember what that was. You haven't really measured the effectiveness of how good the training was. All you've done is tick a box to say you did it, and yeah. at the time when you did it, you could show you could do it. But yeah. now we're saying, well, okay, let's just say you did demonstrate you could do it in the training. Two months later, we're now saying, well, Ben is here to say, let's let's see whether it retained you retain that information or not.
0: Yeah, oh, it's true because, uh, like, I, even myself, I have seen myself just writing the same process over and over because. I did it once and then I discovered that I need it again and then I'm like, okay, I have to do another or something to do this. And, and we're not, and and that's just me personally, but like in a company, all these repeatable tasks that you will find like it's are great. So, so definitely being bits, I guess like, uh, well, first of all, uh, congrats on all the hard work that, uh, all your team has been developing, honestly, like, uh, uh, I think anyone in the community of Dynamo and, and Grasshopper are quite uh, familiar and they 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 know actually what's up with bits what's going on with them. And also I would like to say that uh for the people that is new into this type of uh, technology and, and just listening for the first time the word BIM bits uh definitely it's tools that you have to check out like if you especially if you have like a middle sized big size company, those those tools they definitely will help you a lot too. Engage in a different way, embrace technology, and this will affect directly the results of your company and the, the deliverables of your company, which I think is great. And also, I will I will have to say that Bimbis has been helping a lot of people to change and embrace technology even more. Because um, before Bad we know about Bad Monkeys. And Bad Monkeys, you know, they started like sharing some scripting, and then. I guess everyone was just looking at those uh, uh first steps of uh, scripting back in the day and we were all like oh look at these guys like uh, doing this stuff and now you just jump to an next next um to a next level of how can you use that and and I hope like you, you we well between the knowledge that you have and what you are getting, like we definitely can see more things of bits I'm I'm excited about like the future of this this group about the things that you can build and I hope like everyone else in the in the episode that is listening to this, check it out, uh, follow up, uh, understand what's the value of it. If you need uh, experts from from this, definitely Madwash can help you. Like uh, you can contact uh, a lot of people that can get you familiar with these workflows. But uh, as Matt was saying, like definitely we'll save your time, we'll help your company, we'll help the people to collaborate. So it's a must if you want to start like... Um, going um into the AEC feature like this is a most technology data definitely on the right hands with the proper knowledge and the proper uh, guide it will take you to the next uh, season of the AEC. <laughs> so awesome. thanks thanks, thanks for being with us today matt uh, anything else you want to mention to the audience uh, today oh no we... i did just
1: i just want to give a shout out to both conrad and adam like they're the brains behind this i've just come along and kind of found it really interesting and trying to turn people's um stories and experiences into insights and actions those guys are the brains behind it and uh, i think like you said this is an evolution of what the bad monkeys were all about this is was all about community and raising um the industry's um awareness of what's possible with data and, and automation and you know, Conrad Conrad has built a Dynamo package or a series of Dynamo packages that has been downloaded by nearly 500,000 people and given that away for free, right? So, yeah. we're yes, we're obviously selling this product because we have to develop it and it costs money. But, yeah. you know, we started out as a community organisation that just wanted to make our industry better. Um, and I think the evidence is there that we're not a startup company that's got VC funding and, and spending money here, there. We're, we're you know... Two guys that's now developed into me as well. Um, but yeah, we're just a small company wanting to do the right thing for the industry um, and enjoy it at the same time. And I, I think right now we're we're on a we're on a roller coaster ride, and we're loving it. And you know, speaking to you, Sam, and seeing your enthusiasm with it too, it's kind of like just reinforces our our buzz within our team. So thanks heaps for having me on. Um, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. thanks
0: to you so we'll come back with more episodes for uh, the future of the podcast Um, uh, hoping to keep sharing about this knowledge and uh, well thanks again to everyone for listening and i hope we can come back soon with another episode so goodbye everyone